I've got the, the beep yeah. ready to go. The current climate of the North American culture does not lend itself well to uh, my sense of humor, and I've tapered it down. <laughs> This is Danny, and welcome back to the Academy Alliance podcast. My guest today is a very special human being. He's seen a lot. He's done a lot. He's very thoughtful and well-spoken. He also likes to bicep curl every chance he gets, and we get into that and a whole lot more with Chris Ritchie. Like, this is good. You're comfortable right here, yep. right? And so you, you've you've got your hands rested on the podium and you're fully flexed. I'm yeah. always fully flexed. Yeah, yeah. You're you're looking way bigger than the last time I saw you. Yeah. Dude, I put more work into eating than I do training, I feel like. So what's the regime? Um, right now I'm doing uh, I'm on a program called Renaissance Periodization for my diet. It's called RP Strength. People mm-hmm. follow them on Instagram, and they kind of originally started for um, bodybuilders, powerlifters, people who are trying to put on size and mass and strength. And they've also started to cater to um, now Olympic lifters. They've got a lot of top Olympic lifters in their stable of athletes, mm. as well as uh, high-level CrossFitters. And it's um, two doctors. I forget their names. So everyone's just going back to pumping iron, right? For the most like part, that's what's yeah. happening. Yeah, people just want to get jacked again. There's some value to it. Um, so you've done okay. Let, let's for the uh, for the listeners uh, in a home. Um, you come from a martial arts background. You also got in. You tell the story. Uh, well, uh, long story short. Well, no. Long. <laughs> the point is to make this a long story, at least an hour. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my journey with fitness and athletics pretty much just started the way a lot of people's like I was a fat kid in high sc- in high school yeah yeah um, kind of carried through into my you know early 20s and at a job I was working at um, one of my managers who was young pretty cool chick you know made a cracked a fat joke at me t- tongue-in-cheek thought thinking I would take it with good stride and I didn't it definitely kind of hit me right in the core and it was what motivated me just to join Bally's Total Fitness at the mm-hmm. Eaton Center picked up Arnold Schwarzenegger's modern encyclopedia bodybuilding and we went. have it downstairs it's a classic yeah. I think everybody should read it regardless of what your background is it's but there's pages missing now so those are uh, <laughs> those are posted up on my bathroom. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was just walking around the gym to try to see you at the biggest biceps, and I was going to accuse them of stealing them. Well, if you <laughs> look for the guy doing twenty ones mm-hmm. or, or or drop sets, hammer curls. Yeah, or building their own preacher bench. Um, and that's just, it. Was pretty much just kind of like a cookie cutter um, 
first step into fitness. And I did that for a few years, just read like Flex Magazine and Muscle and Fitness and put together routines. And How old were you at this point? I was, I was about 20 and I just shifted my diet from eating tuna subs and you know pizza slice combos from Pizza mm-hmm. Pizza into lean chicken breast and broccoli and whey protein and creatine and kind of you know a journey a lot of us have been through in our, with our first steps. And I lost about 100 pounds over the course of a year and wow. totally shifted my life, gave me kind of new confidence, um, stopped um, making bad lifestyle choices in, mm-hmm. in all aspects and just kind of... Do you want to get into that? What else were you doing at the time that you quit? Well, I, you know, I grew up touring with, uh, you know, some successful hardcore, like a successful hardcore band in the Toronto area, like all the kids I grew up with and um, band called No Warning. They wound up signing to a major label, and during that time, we got exposed to excess mm-hmm. and excess for free. Um, touring around North America, um, going to any party that we wanted, any kind of drugs, um, free booze all the time, and just you know. So you were partaking in all that. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it was like the early two thousands too, and um, it was just kind of like a weird generational transition too. There wasn't, there's not really too much that defines the early two thousands the way you did like the nineties and eighties. So it was really just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, lost kids who grew up in the city of Toronto didn't really have much, and now kind of had access to everything and, and made the most of it. I wasn't in the band, but they're all my best friends, and I was kind of with them through everything and got everything along with it and right around things started right around when things started to taper off with the band um, is when I was kind of going through my fitness journey and mm-hmm. it just kind of worked out that you know I started feeling a lot better about my positive choices and all my negative choices did you lose friends over it when you made you know some different lifestyle decisions that's what often happens um, no but they weren't on the same kind of growth trajectory Mm -hmm. that I was at the time. So I kind of had to take a break. Um, They were still going hard in the paint for a bit. And it was just something I wasn't comfortable being around. Like I wasn't down for staying out till four in the morning in Toronto at after hours clubs doing a bunch of cocaine and stuff. And those guys were on. Are they going to be mad that you're talking about this? No, because it, it was it was well publicized. It was okay. well publicized right. stuff. If you're in just Toronto check. or in the music scene, like the the band and their friends had a reputation. Okay. I'm a just repu- looking out for you. No, no, had a, had a reputation, um, and this was like I was still like I was in a career transition too. I kind of hadn't found my way. Was just working retail, and mm-hmm. I just it was kind of retail. Uh, you know, worked at worked in the Eaton Center at a couple. You know, worked at the Gap so in the Eaton Center. So everything at, was around the Eaton Center. Your your work, your fitness, everything was. There, well, that's that's there. why I joined Valley. Well, Total. that was <laughs> that's why I joined Valley Total Fitness. Well, so back I, then that was a cool place to be. It was, yeah. You know. um, hanging out in the food court. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a North York kid, so as soon as I could figure out how to use the TTC, I would just go to the Eaton Center every uh, every weekend, pretty much, and steal uh, hip hop cassettes. <laughs> From where? Um, like from Sam H- the Record Man. Okay, um, I remember that was my first big. Score. This is from HMV. Like, I ironically, would. I went. You know, I worked for Sam the Record Man years later, and um, uh, yeah, and I hated when people stole. So, karma. Sam's true iconic mm-hmm. um, Toronto heritage spot, and it was kind of sad to see it go. But yeah, very any, sad. Any any kid who grew up in the in the eighties and nineties probably bought some of their most influential CDs, tapes, and records. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I remember That's when him. when they okay. So when I was a growing up early '90s, uh, the two biggest things for me were Boxing Day sales. Yeah, at Sam's and HMB and, and Sunrise and all those buy two, record stores. Buy three, get one free. Yeah, and uh, absolutely abusing Columbia House. Oh, 100% fake names, different yeah. <laughs> different addresses, different postal codes. Yeah, I went into collections with Columbia House a few times. Yeah, they're still after me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you, because you had to sign up for a genre, right? I'm trying to remember. Colum- uh, Columbia's House thing is you get like 11 CDs for a penny. Yeah. And then when you sign up, you have to pick like, okay, I'm into alternative. And mm-hmm. every month they send, they send you, you a CD yeah. unless you tell them not to. Mm-hmm. And, but they would charge you twenty four ninety nine right. for that CD. And so if you didn't tell them not to, you would get Temple of the Dog. Hey, that's a great record. Oh, yeah, I know. But like some They're back, by the way. They're touring. Oh, yeah. I'm going hungry. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to splice that in. Yeah, oh, mine stealing bread from the miles of decadence. My defining moment of the 90s is watching that video. And then, you know, when Eddie Vedder kind of comes through the fucking bush or whatever he is in his like leather uh, vest and flannel shirt and he just like rips that line. Yeah, like, he's in, it's in like a cornfield or something. It's, yeah, something like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was, you know, that was Toronto Times. Right. Yeah. And, and it was it was crazy because, um, you know, I don't I remember like lining up at midnight for records and, and having that feeling of, of getting stuff in the mail that. Uh, you don't really get anymore. Like you just yeah. have everything immediately, and uh, you don't really get that too much now. Well, as I was saying, like the early two thousands were a huge cultural transition point because mm-hmm. the internet was out and had been for a few years, but we, as a North American culture, weren't as tied to it. Mm-hmm. So you still had access to some information, but we weren't like we still had our feet more in real life mm-hmm. than we did to connected to a computer or a tablet or, or a smartphone or something like that. So um, for me to kind of disconnect from my bad choices and maybe the friends, my friends that were continuing to make them that I needed some space from, I, for the first time I left the West End, I mm-hmm. moved to the beaches and lived there for a year. Why the beaches? Um, I just found a good spot and I kind of needed like a break. Serenity. Yeah, a break from the pace of, of the West End. Mm-hmm. Um, it was th- around that time I kind of started to find my groove with my profession and started working um, for brands and representing them. And it, it was kind of around that time that I was um, started to get into watching UFC and Pride. Mm-hmm. I would rent all the DVDs from Queen Video at Queen Spadina and mm-hmm. watch all the old Japanese fights like Quentin Rampage Jackson and Vanderlei and Shogun and the Nogueras and stuff. And I just, I really loved it and I connected with it, specifically Pride, um, who was based in Japan. And it felt, felt, and even though I do love UFC, it felt more connected to the martial art aspect. Um, of the, combat. The samurai spirit. Yes. Right. Even though there was some freak show shit there for sure. Like oh, yeah. 600 pound sumo wrestlers against 155 pound lightweight. Well, I guys. mean, you know, uh, I think I talked about it a couple of podcasts ago, but the influence of blood sport. Yep. On, you know, my generation. And, and I mean, to this day, that movie kind of holds up yeah. and, and what it is. But I think, you know, the idea of um, different classes of fighter, you know, ultimately deciding which is the best system, which is the best, uh, you know, application of their body is, uh, is a cool concept. And that actually, you know, 
the appeal of those early stages of, of mixed martial arts in Valley Tudo was actually, you know, I'll, I'll get into it in a bit, but is what first attracted me to CrossFit back yeah. in, the, in the early 2000s. Well, that's what I mentioned. It's the same mentality. Yeah. Right. It's, it's um, how do I apply myself in the most efficient way, regardless of what the tradition is or what the, uh, the dogma of your system is. You know, it's kind of the old school Bruce Lee, JKD mentality is to just get the best result possible. Yep. Right. Yeah. Valley Tudo and, and that movie Choke uh, yep. with uh, with uh, Henner Gracie. Right. Is it Henner? It, oh. Henzo. Henzo. No, it's Renzo. not Henzo. Henzo. It's, um, I forget. I always mix them up. It's not Henzo. It's a Gracie. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, that, w- that was special time. So here you are. You're getting into MMA. And I'm watching and I just like because there was no Internet, I couldn't just or like it wasn't as easy access. You couldn't just search on your phone like, you know, martial arts Toronto and and. Mm-hmm. So I did, like while it appealed to me from a spectator standpoint, it didn't really um, have any pique any interest in me to, to partake in it personally until one time I was watching a Pride and um, Gary Goodridge, who was one of the OG UFC guys, um, was fighting in Pride, and one of the announcers just mentioned off the cuff and you know Gary Goodridge training at Ultimate Martial Arts in Scarborough, Ontario, and it was just as simple as like that's near me, I could go there, mm-hmm. and I literally stopped the DVD, found out the address, and went out to Ultimate Martial Arts and checked it out. Um, it was a Muay Thai gym, Muay Thai specialist, still I think the best Muay Thai fighters in Canada are coming from that gym. Um, went out and, you know, aside from like some shithead punk kid fights as a kid, I really had no con- no, no previous experience with like combat or fighting or martial arts and kind of went in and without knowing it at the time, got, you know, thrown in with the lions and wound up um, learning from sparring with like some of the guys that have turned out to be some of the best kickboxers in um, America today. Uh, Joseph um, Valentini, he, uh, Joseph Valtellini, um, he was a welterweight champ in glory. Troy Sheridan, wound up sparring with Gary Goodrich a few weeks into it. And I just, I kind of just dove in feet first. It was, it just really connected me. What kind of beatings did you take in the early days? Pretty bad ones. And I didn't realize they were bad until I started spending more time at other gyms. I just thought it was par for the course getting. So do you, do you have a high you know tolerance for pain or are you just uh, determined? Like what got you through that? Cause most people would quit. Uh, I guess it was just context since I'd never really got hit too bad in my life in any street fights or had martial arts I just thought it was normal Mm. Um, and for me I just I guess I kind of gutted it out and if you've ever spent time doing any like live sparring in martial arts like you don't really you don't really it's not about pain or pain tolerance or threshold because you don't really feel it you have adrenaline going you're focused you're trying to practice technique you're looking at defense and yeah you're in the moment you're in the moment and you get lit up a bunch and it sucks um, but it's not something you kind of feel until mm-hmm. later on or the next day and because of just being present in the moment and then if you love it which I did that kind of pain and and weakness in your muscles and soreness and fatigue it's there's a satisfaction to it what do you love about pain <laughs> Pain is just weakness leaving the body. Uh, read that on a tap out shirt once. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I, I don't love it, but I, I, I feel like I feel if if the pain comes from intelligent and smart training, um, it's a sign that you're working hard. Mm-hmm. 
and that you're willing to sacrifice physically and mentally to progress mm-hmm. physically. You're a competitive mentally. person. Yes. Uh, do you feel that uh, when you go through pain, do you feel that other people will not go through the same things you will, and then that you know puts you at an advantage? Does that help mitigate the uh, the experience of pain? I'm just going to say yes. That's my t- <laughs> okay. Yes, that's my take. <laughs> uh, well, if you're if you're in a good martial arts gym mm-hmm. with a good coach. Um, same thing about being in a lot of other gyms where it's on the outside it looks like an individual sport when I'm training with my counterparts it's about making each other better Mm -hmm. so at least in a training setting um, it's not about inflicting more pain or taking less than the other it's about like you know how do we practice our skills and develop our technique and our offense and our defense and so did you like the team was it it it, it was it was you know it was the same 10 guys monday wednesday friday saturday all in there together Mm -hmm. kind of beating each other up um the more experienced guys helping develop the younger guys um guys who brought different skill sets helping develop um our counter or like our other teammates um areas of weakness mm-hmm. so it really felt like that and, and i didn't realize how unique that was until i went to other gyms and where it was a little bit more um self-serving and about the individual as mm-hmm. opposed to the team um, and at the end of the day when you compete if you compete it's just you and your opposition um, but your mentality is you're really doing it for your coach and for your team and to represent yourself well and your team well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's common in a lot of martial arts and dojos, like people who represent the Gracie name, like do it for the Gracies and try to do it with pride and honor. Um, and I think that's something that's gotten a little bit lost um, as the sport of mixed martial arts has has developed. But because of tap out. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, of, I'll, I'll blame Affliction, Affliction and, yeah. and, and Hardy. But when you kind of click down a little bit to the individual martial arts, you see that a little bit more prominent. Mm -hmm. And that had a big appeal to me because I had no appeal in team sports and competing with a team. I wanted to test myself individually, but I wanted to do it alongside people who wanted to do the same that we could learn and grow and develop from each other. What's Um, your take on Conor McGregor? I think he's great. I think he's a true martial artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, Like at his core, he's... he's, He's about the spirituality of it, um, the technique of it, um, the competition of it, and he—he's just a once-in-a-lifetime martial artist mm-hmm. who who is willing to put the effort in to build up a fight and then back it up when he gets in there. And I think um, one of—I I liked him before that, just like as a fan. But I think one of the things that made me respect him the most was his ability to take defeat mm-hmm. and well not take it but not not accept it well uh, right um, after anyway i mean but you know usually a few days removed he's talking shit again <laughs> but he, right after the fight he's he, pretty gracious he is but he he hasn't made any excuses no and he he hates the taste of defeat so bad mm-hmm. that he needs an immediate um chance at redemption mm-hmm. and um i think it's fantastic but i've I've been a Diaz fan since day one. Say, since day one. Say. So, um, who's your call? I'm picking Diaz. Yeah, I got um, McGregor. I think I think Diaz is going to suffer slightly from the Rocky Three syndrome, 
right? He's he's at a much higher level of popular. You remember Rocky Three? You're yeah. giving me a face right now, like you don't remember the, the whole plot of Rocky Three. Was was he against the so Rocky? No, that's Rocky Four. Okay. Um, which, as a Russian kid, left me really torn because I don't know who to refer. Yeah. But anyway, um, obviously Rocky. Um, but it was actually Rocky IV, to go on a tangent of a tangent, is really interesting because basically if you go through the montages of Rocky IV, it's, it's basically CrossFit versus bodybuilding. Because <laughs> Drago okay. is doing all this bodybuilding shit and steroids and Rocky's basically doing CrossFit. He's doing like, you know, uh, uh, he's running up mountains, he's, you know, like uh, carrying logs, flipping stuff, you know, skipping, he's doing CrossFit and ultimately that wins. But <clears throat> um, what was my point here? Rocky III was when he achieved all his fame, all his money and, and the demands of this life of celebrity basically took over and he ended up losing to Mr. T. And then he had to kind of, you know, uh, train with Apollo and then all those scenes of them running on the beach in yep. short shorts. And, you know, he got his mojo back, got his groove back. And I think Rocky Three Syndrome is real. I think that, you know, when people get this level of success, maybe Rhonda, maybe some of that, right? And she's distracted, she's got other priorities, she wants to maximize her value during this time. You can't have a foot in both worlds, right? Um, to be really amazing at one thing. So I feel like Diaz, uh, I mean, I think he's a true martial artist as well, but listen, man, that press schedule is insane. And for sure, so coming from zero money to uh, a lot of money, he was making, what, 10,000 a fight? 10 and 10, something 10 like and that. 10, ridiculous. And now, you know, he's a millionaire, so, I mean, he's probably smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> well, okay, so to be devil's advocate, I think, um, Nate Diaz, as opposed to a lot of other fighters, surrounds himself by... It's a good camp. By a good camp, Jake Shields, Gilbert Melendez, Nick Diaz. He's seen a lot of his teammates lose recently. Um, Gilbert Melendez yep. lost to Edson Barboza recently. Yeah, and he got busted, though. Um, he did. That was a year before. Uh, you know, Jake Shields hasn't had the strongest run. Um, so I think he's around. He sees defeat enough to get motivated to train hard enough to mm -hmm. avoid it. Um, I also think where he comes from um, doesn't have the kind of, like Stockton, California, like is it Stockton slap? Yeah, it doesn't have the kind of same distractions. So that's why I, I think he's, and he's been in the game long enough. He's been in big fights, he's fought for titles. Like mm -hmm. he, he has the in, in and outside of the ring experience. But this is just one of those fights where I'm just, I'm just rooting for the fight. It's gonna be great. Just the, just There's the, no title, it's just old school, who's better, right? Just the fight, yeah. yeah. Just the fight. Um, so, you know, you were talking a lot about the, the spirit uh, of martial arts and being a martial artist, and you're a person that, I mean, you know, I've known for a while, and you've always been very principled. Sometimes, frustratingly yep. <laughs> principled. Like, you really hold to your, your values, um, you know, whether I like them or not, but for the most part, they're awesome. Um, you know, like very loyal, very, uh, very honorable. Every time you stepped in the gym, like just super respectful, that martial arts spirit, I appreciate. Um, so moving on from, you know, like moving through MMA and yeah. moving on to other things. Oh, is that you or me? It's you. That's me. Shit. Not professional. Oh. Ding. Ding. It's okay. We'll leave that in. That's how, that's how we roll. Just but, keep your real dog. <laughs> what, what happened after MMA? Well, so I got into MMA later in life, like when I started to kind of peak and progress with my talents where I wanted to look at being competitive outside mm -hmm. of the gym and, and trying to prove myself a little bit. I was in my 
mid to late 20s with only a couple years of martial arts experience in my back pocket. Um, and I kind of saw that as the time to go to make a run of it, or at least try, um, despite like a large um, amount of experience. And so at that point, like I packed my car up with my dog, moved to California, drove cross country, lived out of my truck for, and it wasn't a truck, it was a Chevy HHR. I like to say it was, <laughs> I like to say it was a truck, but it was really like yeah. uh, a poor man's party time cruiser. Uh, and Did I just, that car have the panel, like some kind of paneling or something on it? I didn't have the wood side paneling. Okay. Um, it looked like a hearse mixed with a PT That's cruiser. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give it a go and see what happened. And at that time, um, and still to an extent, California was the epicenter of mixed martial arts, the most amount of gyms, the ability to truly train indoors, outdoors every year. And I was always a skate kid too, so the appeal of California um, had something to me. Went out, um, had a couple competitions, went okay in training in jiu-jitsu. One day I wound up tearing out my ACL, MCL, LCL, PCL, and meniscus all in one go. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did that happen? Uh, I was in. I was doing some jujitsu, and I was in uh, half guard, and went to s spin out, mm -hmm. trying to honestly do some fancy sakuraba type shit. And my uh, foot wound up stuck between this dude's legs, and I turned as my foot stayed planted, and just wound up like pop, pop, uh, pop, pop, pop. Wish everything. Bone. Uh, pardon? Wishbone. Oh, all, all my yeah, all yeah. my ligaments just yeah. went, and people from across the gym could hear it. And so, um, I kind of had to suck it up. Because uh, I was living there illegally too, working valet, just mm -hmm. trying to fight full time or at least make it happen. Um, so that was your dream. You wanted to actually. Be I wanted. A, to, I wanted professional to. Oh, yeah, I was really passionate about it. Wanted to give it a go. Had never really been good at anything. Um, a lot of my life had been defined by what my friends were doing. Mm -hmm. Like I was talking about, like my best friend's bands were big, but I was never really in the band. So I, I wanted. That was kind of like my moment to to see what I was capable of and I didn't it didn't work out I had to come back and get surgery and stuff in Toronto but one of my biggest passions that I found through training for um, MMA and Muay Thai was the strength and conditioning aspect I loved it and at the time you know kettlebells were just um, gaining some popularity and um, CrossFit only had a handful of gyms and that had a huge appeal to me and some of the more progressive martial artists were incorporating that into their strength and conditioning and that was just um, really appealing to me because it was it was so tangible to see progress in your um, VO2 max and your anaerobic and aerobic capabilities mm -hmm. and that kind of became even while I was healthy before my surgery one of my the things I was most excited about in my training which later developed kind of to what I what I did full time for my athletic training and that was just CrossFit um, wound up you know reading some PDFs on kettlebell training from Sean Mosen. Um, when I wanted to buy a kettlebell, I had to go to CrossFit Toronto. It was the only spot in Toronto you could even find mm -hmm. a kettlebell. Right. And it was, I think that was one of like maybe six, seven CrossFit gyms. Maybe in, in Canada. Or in North America at the time in like, you yeah. know, early 2000s. <clears throat> and from there, I, you know, heard about a new CrossFit gym Opening, which, which one was that? <laughs> opening up in Toronto. Um, what was it? What was the first name of the gym? Well, it wasn't it was Academy Alliance? No, uh, no, it was. I'm saying it was Academy a few months after, but we opened up with a really stupid name called CrossFit Gyms Toronto West. Yes, yeah. that was it. But it was still a line as a logo. 
It was. It was. I think there was some Toronto Skyline mixed in. There too. was a Toronto Skyline. A little bit in yellow. Yeah. It was. There was yellow. There might. There might have been yellow. Yeah. So I think you were on like a beta site then or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was like an beta. Atari type the Commodore sixty four site. Hey, and great computer. My first it, computer. It was. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd been living back in, the, I'd moved back to the West End when I moved back to Toronto and um, saw a new gym open up and looked it up and just kind of rolled in, um, signed up for some, you know, kind of monthly, like pay-as-you-go mm-hmm. monthly stuff and just wound up connecting full time with strength and conditioning. It was all, And it was all so new at the time too, like I don't know what a wall ball was or double unders or mixing in Olympic lifting. All I knew was kind of like kettlebells and bench press mm-hmm. and going for runs. And it was just like this whole new adventure and experience that I got to kind of share with people that it was new for as well. And it was just so appealing because we go in and it was just exciting every single day. And it was, it was kind of similar to martial arts in a lot of ways. It was, yeah, because like it, this, that style of CrossFit training just tested your mental capacity as well as your physical capacity in a way that most people don't experience. And I just, a lot of the stuff that I got from martial arts of like testing like how far, like how strong is my mind with my body was the most appealing thing. And so mm-hmm. I was in there six days a week and, um, the people that were coming in were just as excited about the adventure and it wasn't it wasn't just a check in check out fitness class like it was it was it was an adventure and experience mm-hmm. and so that just had a and it was just new it was just new and um that it, it just that's kind of just where it started from there like well, I think the mentality that it takes to appreciate martial arts or CrossFit is very much, you know, what you're talking about. The, you know, you you want to perfect a skill or work on a skill. You're willing to go through uh, the process, the pain, and yeah. and also you need people around you to support you. Like you enjoy the camaraderie and teamwork, uh, the success and the failure. And if you are good with all that, then CrossFit is something that's going to work for you. It is, and I, I think one of the biggest appeals to me was um, the um, diversity in the people that were sharing, looking for the same experience. Mm-hmm. And I will say, this is something that your gym has held on to for its entirety in the test in the last ten years, and is is quite unique. It's not it's not the same everywhere else, especially here. And it's you know, I'm. I'm doing the same workout beside a 40-year-old triathlete, full-time triathlete, a 50-year-old construction worker, a 28-year-old dude who plays in a band that I really like, uh, yeah. you know, 32-year-old graffiti artist. Like, it, like, it was, it just re- really felt like an eclectic group of people, which still exists in this gym to this mm-hmm. day. But and the reason it exists is because that was my first experience. That's what I loved. Um, the workouts, for sure, like going through pain and then. Um, with other people and yeah. just bonding quickly, but for sure it was the diversity of the the people and um, getting to know them through the effort that you put out, yeah. and that would immediately um, you know just bonded us together and 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 it was so cool. And I think that's kind of what we exist to do is to preserve that experience. And the methodology is CrossFit. It it still exists in this gym to this day, and I Thank feel you. it every time I come in and. Um, you hear the words, you know, community thrown around CrossFit a lot. Um, and while I do think it exists, it, it, I think it's more in reference to the community within the walls of the gym. Mm-hmm. But I feel like 
when I think of Academy Alliance and community and CrossFit and training and athletics, the community aspect incorporates the city, the neighborhood, mm-hmm. the people, the backgrounds, the culture, and where it comes from. And I think that was one of the most special things that I found in starting training in this gym that continued through the whole time that I, I haven't seen exist to the same level anywhere else. And growing up in Toronto, the city, the culture, and the community is one of the most prideful things I have mm-hmm. when I reflect on what I love about this city. And the gym uh, represented that truly. And so that's kind of what's kept me here, even throughout lulls in my training, throughout my entire kind of athletic career the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I appreciate that. And I know that it's not, uh, you know, uh, I don't think you're saying that to, you know, to make me happy because, you know, uh, I mean, you're really polite now, but sometimes you say things just to make me unhappy. <laughs> so I know. That's 100% accurate, but it's never about the gym, so I'm, I'm okay. being authentic. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, so you, you moved. You're in Portland now. Yeah. Um, made the move about three and a half years ago. Um, been kind of like, aside from that L.A. trip and, you know, for six months and living in New York for a few months, I've been like a Toronto downtown kid my whole life. Yeah. Um, so this is my first time truly living and immersing myself somewhere else, um, like, and, and planting roots, so to speak. I live in Portland, Oregon now and been out there for three and a half years. Um, still Canadian. Mm-hmm. Still have my passport, my social insurance number. Really? Yeah. Huh. Still got it. So you don't have to, like... Do some kind of legal. Well, I'm on a visa. Okay. I'm on a visa, a visa, but I am fortunate to still have um, right. one foot in each country. And uh, you know, tell the people what you're doing out there. Uh, I work for uh, the largest and best and most amazing um, sports <laughs> and athletic brand in the world, and it has this little swish, swish on the side. Oh okay. yeah. yeah. Um, so I worked worked for the company for a couple of years in in, in Toronto. Um, Amazing experience, mm-hmm. uh, and then got um, afforded the very nice luxury of taking on uh, a role in the U.S. and based at our headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, living mm-hmm. in Portland, and uh, been in the Pacific Northwest the last three and a half years. We're sponsored by Canada Running Series. These guys organize great races in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. You can go to CanadaRunningSeries.com and register for an upcoming event. Use the discount code LIONS, that's L-I-O-N-S, at checkout and get 10% off of your race registration. Our crew, the Academy Lines Run Crew, is currently training for the Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon happening October 16th. There's also going to be a 5K and half marathon option for that race. And if you've never run a major city race before, now is your chance. The experience is something that will last forever. Thousands and thousands of people line the streets with funny, inspiring signs to help motivate you and keep you entertained. And if you're in Toronto, come out and run with the Academy Lines Run Crew every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. for a 5K or 8K. It's completely free of charge, and we have pacers for every kind of runner from new to super fast. You can check out all those details at academyoflines.com slash runcrew. CrossFit, I loved competing. Um, I did multiple um, local competitions in the Toronto area. I still remember the amount of pride 
you had when um, Dave and I took, I think, second or third or third or fourth right. at the CrossFit Toronto gym and just smoked all these dudes that had defected from your from our gym to other <laughs> gyms and had talked a lot of shit and we didn't say nothing we just went in there and, and performed um still have great photos of that <laughs> well I, actually it's funny because i forgot all about that but um anyway i'm you know i'm a forgive and forget well no i'm a forgive don't forget but yeah. just you know forgive anyway um kind of guy but I do remember feeling like this is just my, you know, feeling about you that it was important to you to win on my behalf. And I was just like, that's some like old school fucking, you know, um, you know, Mr. Miyagi shit. (laughs) And I I love that. That was really cool, man. Well, we've, you've been one of my best friends for 10 years, but a lot of, a few of those years you were my coach too. And, um, I had to represent my coach mm-hmm. and, you know, represent my gym and represent my team. And I just like, I love that. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about like the kind of the martial arts aspect yeah. is, you know, do right to the people that did right mm-hmm. for you. And that was, that was just our mentality. And I think, um, that it's funny. Like I was such a fucking shitty kid. I talked so much shit. I was such an asshole. But when I kind of found martial arts and learned about, um, discipline and honor and grace um, and how to take anything like it, your performance always speaks for itself mm-hmm. and that's that was just the mentality I went into in that specific competition but that was my first competition actually and I just I loved it and at the time like if you did a CrossFit competition you would kind of just it was two days and you would show up and you would not know what you're getting mm-hmm. and you just kind of had no choice but to jump in and just do it. Um, and I just, I love that. So um, I continued to do some more competitions. And when I uh, moved out to Portland, I didn't have any friends, didn't have a lady yet, and just kind of had free time. And I wanted, I thought that looked like a perfect, seemed like a perfect opportunity to pr- pursue that, um, those athletic goals, kind of get back to the same goals that I had when I was in martial arts out there. And I hired, um, went around looking for great coaches in the Portland area and, and by fluke stumbled, ato- stumbled upon um, Scott Hagness, who turns out to be one of the best coaches in CrossFit or strength training, um, period. And he's been my coach for the last three and a half years. And it's the first time where I'd ever had a personalized coaching experience. So we were like the goal was to make regionals the crossfit and open in 2013 i think it was no 2013 and 2014 and he just did all my programming was my full-time coach we check in every day um change things as needed you know check heart rates and omega wave testing and and everything it was just like a truly immersed coaching experience and it was amazing um, didn't wind up making regionals either of those two years, but I can truly say coming out of that, like I, I found out what my best was mm-hmm. and, um, that was almost more important to me. It was, it turned out to be more important to me than, you know, any kind of accolades or, um, competitive success. Cause like I could tangibly say, like, I know what my best was mm-hmm. and, it, and it felt pretty good. Um, and yeah, fantastic gym. Um, what makes, a, coach. what makes a fantastic gym? Um, preacher bench. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I think um, 
it's coaches. It's coaches because some of the best, one of the best gyms I was ever at was in a garage on Gladstone mm -hmm. that didn't have lifting platforms. It had like two pull-up bars, um, some haggard medicine balls, and that was about it. But it was like the coaches that um, cultivated the experience and the training and the culture. And um, I think one of, like, one of the best things about coming from that generation of CrossFit is not being spoiled with equipment and knowing mm -hmm. the nitty gritty and not being afraid to get dirty, which I think is kind of lost in the last few years or so. Um, but well, it, uh, Rocky four, man, yeah. that's what it is, right? But it, it was in those years that I learned, um, the true value and importance of, of coaching in mm -hmm. community. And so I think that is what defines a good gym is the coaching in the community. So you you come back to Toronto uh, about every year, right? Yeah, once or twice a year. And I mean, the city is on a crazy tra uh, trajectory right now. So what do you what do you notice when you come back? Uh, when you dip dip in and out, like what's what's the vibe for you in this city? Uh, it's it's first off, it's infrastructure immediately. When you only come back once a year, it's it's really easy to see like the literal growth of the city. Um, new high rises, new towers, um, new buildings, new businesses. I think that's the first thing I immediately notice. And then definitely an influx of population. The city is busier and more congested than it's ever been. Um, you can tell it walking down Ossington, Kensington Market, Queen, Dundas. Um, and growing up in these neighborhoods as a kid, it just seeing the amount of people in business here, it's, it's, it can be kind of overwhelming, but I also, you know, I loop you in with this, like kind of one of the first adopters of Toronto pride years ago. There is a bit of pride seeing the city grow as it should um, and get the kind of world recognition it should. And I, I kind of see that when I walk through the streets. Um, do, you, do you feel it in the States? Toronto's on the map mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'd be remiss if, uh, didn't credit OVO and Absolutely. Champagne Poppy for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you got a shout out, didn't you? Or he followed you or something. Uh, he, I remember you posted that on Instagram and I was like, wow. He, he, liked, did a, it. he liked a photo and gave, gave a shout out. So yeah. was, that was a nice cosign. Um, it's kind of cool because like, if you grew up in the West End, Toronto, you used to, you used to see him roll around at, sure. at, at Goodfoot or Beaconsfield and kind of the West End. and when people are kind of taking jabs at them and to kind of see like, mm -hmm. I just like, you know, people can make fun where they want, um, but the dude reps his city on his sleeve. And um, if I was in the same position, I'd be doing the same thing. And I got a lot of respect yeah. for that. Um, he made me notice the CN Tower again. Did I he? forgot it was there. Oh yeah. Cause you know, I'm biking, I'm biking into the Academy every day and you know, you, I just ignore the fact that it's there, but now because <laughs> of views, I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's right. That thing's there. And you look up and see if he's still sitting there <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, for sure. in his mink coat Everyone or whatever he's wearing. Yeah. Um, so it definitely has that, that has put Toronto on the map, um, mm -hmm. to a certain extent and Raptors playoff runs, Blue Jays playoff runs. Absolutely. Like this, like the, Raptors big time. I think yeah. the attitude that they brought in the last couple of years. Um, and and their connection with Drake and, and and all that stuff, I think is it's it's kind of just a perfect storm of of stuff that is uh, you know giving Toronto its own identity. Toronto's been a world class city forever, and it's taken some of these like spikes um, from entertainment and sports mm -hmm. to kind of put it more on the map. And I, 
I get people in the U.S. talking about it all the time when they hear I'm from Toronto or I'm repping a Blue Jay shirt. They're like, I love that city or I can't wait to go. Like, I've only heard good things and I, that just fills me with pride. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I love the city. I think it's the best city in North America. Um, I think the, uh, the We the North campaign was one of the turning points for the city. Legit, I think. Because that was really a like us embracing the fact that, yeah, it's cold up here. Yeah. <laughs> we sometimes have to play basketball uh, outside in the snow. Um, you know, there is a Scarborough. There is, you know, uh, this, that. And that was crazy. And, and also, like, signaling that, yeah, we, we accept the difficulties of living here. We accept the fact that nobody respects us, but we're going to, you know, literally fly a flag. Um, little, little known fact, fun fact, but there was a video that was shot here by Stuart McIntyre um, that you were in, the Do the Work video. Yeah. He was the one who did the video for the uh, We the North campaign. Really? So, yeah, so you, the video that you were in actually got him that gig. Oh, wow. So anybody who's interested, look up Academy Alliance, do the work. It's on our, if you go to, yeah, academyalliance.com. Well, I'm, I'm glad that got him something because I remember I spent 10 hours working out and yeah. was in it for about 10 seconds, so. Yeah, you, your shoulder's kind of in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, so, yeah, I, I guess one thing I do notice when I come back to Toronto that actually bothers me mm. is the commercialization of the city and in which way? the way people are profiting off of it. Like all those Toronto, Toronto shirts and and Parkdale shirts and stuff like that. Like, why is that bad though? So okay, I one thing I respect about the way Drake handles his brand with OVO and kind of what the Raptors do and the and and the Blue Jays do and the way that they all respectively represent the city is is they give back to the city. So Mm -hmm. OVO, for example, you know. He claims Toronto hard. He brings OVO Fest here for four days. That's a huge boost in tourism and gives back to the city, like the city and independent businesses and bigger businesses. It's like, you know, like our city is rewarded by that. Like it's, 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 you know, nice spike in tourism. But if you're going to make money off of Toronto as a city or neighborhoods, give back to the communities too. If you're going to profit off the city, Mm -hmm give back to the city. And I've just noticed a lot of um, people taking commercial opportunities um, and piggybacking on Toronto's popularity for self-interest. See, they're your principles again, man. Yeah. Right. Um, Is that from, is that from kind of growing up in the hardcore scene? Like that's a very heavily principled world, is it not? It is. um, But I, I think, I think just because Toronto's a world-class city doesn't mean there isn't opportunity for, like there isn't poverty or there isn't hurt or there isn't pain and you see it when you... Um, yeah, but, but I, I, okay, to play, you know, maybe devil's advocate here, Drake is, is making money. He's not, I, I don't see him, you know, giving out soup or uh, start, I, I don't know if he started any you know, social, uh, social change he has, program. He has some community charity basketball stuff that he, does, he, he, for he sure. brings to the for city sure. and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm just saying like, make money off the city, but share yeah. it with the city. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Drake's been amazing. Like he, he you know, he, there's, there's been no better ambassador of the city um, than, other than, than him, other than you, obviously, than yeah. present company. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and he gets a lot of hate and whatever, but everyone does when they reach that level. Um, it, it's, it's been amazing. And um, I think, you know, us as Torontonians have to 
capitalize on the attention um, in in a way that supports our city and doesn't, as you said, just feed off of it. And I think you know every brand that's kind of or or entrepreneur or uh, you know culturalist, if they do it genuinely, it'll shine through. If yep. they don't, eventually they go away. Um, so what are you uh, are you working out today after this? Yes. Okay. What are you doing? What's the rep scheme? Um, so I've uh, become quite fortunate. I've got a very beautiful lady in my life, mm-hmm. uh, my partner, Jessica. She's a, a trainer as well and trains her ass off. And um, I think today... I think she's made you a, a much calmer person, I've noticed. Yeah, and there's a few reasons for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely give her all the credit for that. Um, I think today... We, what we like to do, especially when we travel sometimes, is just make up a workout mm-hmm. on the spot. I think we're just going to make up some chipper workout. So old school, put in the hopper. and Old school, yeah. chipper, hopper, and just have fun with it. This is uh, probably my last day training at the gym, and even though I'm following some some programming right now, I just I want to come in here and have an old school, kind of make it up, fun, mm-hmm. CrossFit-styled workout, which will always end in um, 100 reps of bicep curls. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Weighted vest. Yeah. If you're doing an RX. Yeah. Um, Anybody who's listening wants to come join in. Uh, we are live. Um, yeah. Well, this won't be released till a little bit. <laughs> um, that's cool. So you're heading back tomorrow, right? Reluctantly. Reluctantly. Yeah. You'll be missed, man. Yeah. yeah every time you come into town, it's been, uh, uh, it's always great seeing you and you rep, um, you rep us really hard. And I've always appreciated that because to me, the Academy, um, it's not, um, you know, it's not the medicine balls. Um, it's not even this building. It's really this kind of, uh, connection we all have because we all appreciate kind of the same yeah. things and we have principles, we have, we have values. Um, and it's cool to see that and, and we're family, we're family. And, and I say like when, you know, we, we, we didn't lose you, we just gained a, you know, a Northwestern state. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said this to you the other day, but I mean, when I think of Toronto and I think of home, mm-hmm. I immediately think of this gym. My blood, sweat, and tears are, and my heart is here in so many, so many ways for so many different reasons. But this is my home, and you made it my home, and the people here made it my home, and I love this place forever. Thanks, brother. Um, so before I start to cry, yeah. uh, let's let's uh, get get out of here. <laughs> Let's, you know, let's cry off the mic. Yeah. We'll have some class. <laughs> we'll cry and curl. Yeah. How about that? That's how you do it. Um, we're, we're Renaissance men. Yeah. Going back to your, your program. I'm more of like a Baroque strength program guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe medieval. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. And um, do you want anyone to, uh, to reach you in any sort of social way, social media? you care? No. I want people to reach me in real life now. In real life. Talk to me in real life. In real life, okay. Yeah. That's so, the new social media, is real life. That's the social social media. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it was cool to have you on, man. It's a nice little recap of the last uh, eight years of uh, you know blood, sweat, and tears. I thank you, and I thank Academy members, past and present, for um, curating, cultivating, and embracing what this gym's about and keeping it alive the whole time. So thank you. Thanks, Omi.